Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peach Troops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We're recording on January 1. Uh, Happy New Year, Glenn. Happy New Year, Kevin. <laughs> uh, are, are the Hawks going to win any of these games on the upcoming road trip? They probably wouldn't win, at least. At least one. Depends on who plays, you know, you know how it goes. So... The West Coast is usually a rough one, you know, usually, I think. And it seems like the last two seasons, maybe I don't have this quite right in my head, but it seems like the last two seasons they played under man. I remember a game in Portland last, I think, was it last year if Trey put up like 50 plus and, but like it was, they were missing several other key guys and they lost by like, I don't know, six points or something like that. So it's felt like they've gone into the West Coast road trip, guys nearing return potentially, and then get, that sets you up to just get increasingly fatigued on an already fatiguing West Coast road trip. So I don't have super high expectations. Part of that, part of that is the injuries. Part of that is how fatiguing the West Coast swing is. Part of that is just they haven't played very well. Yeah. So it's every other day starting tomorrow, January 2. We've got Golden State, Sacramento, Lakers again, Clippers. Uh, any of those that you particularly like over the others? Um, man, if I, I'd have to know when people are coming back. I mean, they, they, I think they are kind of a tough matchup for the Kings because they can put so much pressure on the rim. And for for the wonderful offensive season Sabonis is having, I still think he's one of the worst, you know, defensive anchors in the league among starting centers in the league. And there's not much behind him, you know, there. But you know what? Winyan Gabriel, who who I, I was, like, uh, who I like, but not yeah. as a center. Right. Uh, they couldn't handle him. No, no, I was about to say. So you know, so I was about to say that. Like, Mike, but that's another reason my expectations aren't high. You know, so yeah, I was just about to say that the pressure on the rim in opportune moments didn't didn't uh, happen in the game against the Lakers. Yeah, and, and I mean, in that game, like you know, I wrote the follow up for Peace Hoops, and I think. I think Jalen, JC, and Anyeka were combined 15 for 18 at the rim, I think, is what I wrote, which is great. And I think they put up, <laughs> they put up what, 52 or 54 points in the paint, but the Lakers got 72 points in the paint in like four, uh, 43 shots, I think 43 shots inside the restricted area. 43. That is crazy. And the Hawks ran zone for what? I don't know, 30 to 40% of the second, third, and fourth quarter. They were trying to get to a zone to manage foul issues. I know the officiating was not great. Um, you know, you get a couple, two of those officials are, you know, not my not my favorites. <laughs> they were 25 and 46. <laughs> oh, you could, you, you could say their names. <laughs> Tony and Ben. Tony and um, Ben. Yeah, Tony and Ben, you know. Um, how how do you get those two in the same game? But, I mean, it ended up being, like, problem number 18 on the list of the problems for the Hawks that night, you know. So, I, it, you know, Kevin, what's strange about the Lakers, I know we're going to talk about Nate in a little bit, but about the Lakers game, which is, which is it's more of the same, but it was like some of, some of the issues and patterns that haven't been quite macro-level issues maybe, like, became, like, massive macro level issues in that Lakers game. So they're playing the zone and they're getting back in transition 
and like two or three of the five players are trying to get to their zone area. And it's like, hey guys, we're in transition. We we got to match up. We can't get into a zone. It's like, what are you what are you doing? Like, why are people running to their zone spot when you're you haven't even stopped the ball in transition? Is it just the disorganization and the, the lack of kind of connection just baffled me? It's just the basic stuff. There are plays where they're in a zone and someone's coming right down the middle of the cut, cutting from like half court. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like cutting from above the, the top of the key straight down the lane. And the the guy on top on the weak side is not coming to the nail to kind of cut that pass off and, and helping over to that area on the strong side. where he, it, it was just astonishing. It was It was just really bad. And they still... You know, led the game for a good while. You know, uh, and I know a lot of it was LeBron making just ridiculous shots. You know, celebrating his birthday, and I guess the uh, superhuman way that only he can. Maybe you know, but that was. I think the last time we recorded, I had mentioned that one of the recent games was the most frustrating game to watch. I think it was that Pacers game. There's a new sure. one at the top. There's a new one at the top for me. Oh, <laughs> really? The, the Lakers game was worse yeah oh see i would i would i would stick with the pacers game i would just just from the fact that they really needed collins and and collins got those fouls that were just <laughs> they were so <laughs> collins got those fouls at the beginning of the game that were so terrible it's like that happened to the Lakers game like, too. The, like the, the calls in the lakers game no that's what i'm like... talking about that's what I, I, i'm talking about the lakers game like yeah yeah, they're ridiculous. Yeah, the Lakers games calls the, the against and Collins were just super duper frustrating. So the I'm, it's not like the perimeter defense was anything in either game, but I think it was for me. It was more frustrating in the Pacers game. Yeah, yeah. How, how you how do you get Tony Brothers and Ben Taylor in the same game? I just I you know. That'd be like getting Scott Foster and a clone of Scott Foster in the same game. Well, about equal to that. Birthday magic. Who knows <laughs> how it happens? Uh, I mean, I, I, I would suspect that I'd have to go look, but I would suspect that generally the last game before Christmas and the last game before New Year's, you're officiating close to your physical residence. So you can, you know, I could see that. So, you know, yeah. so I, it's very rare to get. I mean, Tony and Ben are both basically crew chiefs every game that they right. officiate. So super right. rare to get them together. I mean, except um, in like a playoff game or a final for, for sure. or something. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But I would, I guess, if I went and looked up kind of where they live, that they, you know, that they're in the southeast and just close <laughs> to home. Yeah. Uh, Nate McMillan. He's still the coach. Uh, yeah. As Midnight. of uh, yeah. We're Jan 2 now, so we made it through January 1st. Well, I'm in January 2. You're in January We record with, like, special time travel powers. Uh, yeah. Well, the Hawks are in the Eastern time, though, so I'll go by that. Not right now. They aren't. Okay. The headquarters, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's still the head coach. And there was a report that he wanted to resign, which I suppose is not an overwhelming shock. No. Uh, he he came to his press conference and made an initial statement, and not necessarily really even uh, letting it go to a whole bunch of questions. But uh, I 
not sure that it was a overwhelming <laughs> denial of the report. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he was lying, but like the things that he said, like, I don't talk to Shams. Well, nobody said that you talked to Shams. That really doesn't hold a whole lot of relevancy. It's no. maybe your agent talks to Shams or maybe somebody on the Hawks front office talks to Shams because, hey, if Nate gets really frustrated and the seat gets really hot, he walks away and the Hawks don't have to pay him. Like, who? it, it didn't have to be Nate talking to Shams to, to get that report out and have the report necessarily reflect on something that actually happened. And it doesn't have to be Shams. I mean, Sam Amick has reported, like, even though Sam is... You know, he started in Sacramento a number of years ago and then kind of, I think, swung down to the Warriors beat for a little bit. And um, but he's reported a lot of stuff about Atlanta the last few years. You know, I I presume because he has relationships, you know, with some of the folks that came from <laughs> Gold State. You know, I don't, oh, I don't okay. know if that's necessarily Travis or not, but, you know, right. I, you know, that's the only I mean. Like you know, some of the like locker room issues from what the 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 last the year that Lloyd Pierce got fired, you know, a lot of that came through Sam, you know, and so it doesn't have to be directly to to, to Shams. So you know, who, who knows? But um, what he said was um, appreciate your professionalism, but it was not a denial. One thing he said was, "We all think about retirement. We all think about retiring. Do you think about retiring, Kevin?" <laughs> Do I need? Do we need? Um, do oh, no, no. Today I had no contingency planning for this podcast. I, you know, it's possible. Know. If I say the wrong thing, maybe. <laughs> I think about retiring, but only in the sense of like, I, you know, I at least monthly check my four hundred one k. But like, okay, my, you know, my my family, okay, you know, or you know, or my taking a good approach there. I'm not thinking about quitting my day job, but you know. I, I haven't been on the Nate McMillan path where he, you know, did well as a player, done well as coach, and you know, it's a kind of a different thing. But, but um, he basically said that's for the end of the year. That that was if there was a deny, if there was a form of a denial in there, it was in the way that he said that comes at the end of the year. But he also didn't say that he hasn't been tempted or whatever word you want to use. So let me let me just give you my my big. Again, when we talk about these things, which has been too much this year already, we we want to be careful saying what we know, what we think, what we believe, you know, those words. So connecting the dots from my view, it looks like the organization, front office especially, um, management positions, whatever you want to kind of say, it just looks like a miserable place to work right now. You know, while it's hard to be at a place where power is shifting and swinging, um, um People may be competing for an opportunity to get more leverage in the organization. And these things are, to a degree, normal dynamics in a multi-million dollar business, multi-billion dollar business and and all those sorts of things. There's, I think there's always some of that. I, I know in my professional background, um, I've encountered people with different, you know, agendas and different values and, you know, and things like that. But right now, I'm just guessing that it's a miserable place to be. That's just the way it kind of seems to me i don't know that no one's told me that but just looks like not a fun place to work right now yeah uh you know i think the thing that is maybe more concerning than anything else 
Uh, it's it's that you know the coal mine has an entire aviary of canaries like there's people just leaving like the floodgates are open and people are leaving uh it's like it's like angry birds meet the canary in the coal mine yeah the director of pro scouting steven giles vice president of player personnel Derek pierce you know these are uh, senior prisons. senior advisor Rod Higgins, like these are people that were around a lot. Higgins was at you know tons of practices. Uh, you know, same for Pierce. Pierce was always one of the guys who was, you know, five o'clock, five thirty. You know, watching the Hawks warm up, watching the other team warm up, just you know, getting the lay of the land. Like people that are basketball lifers that no talent and no team building and and know what goes there and. Now there's like this big vacuum of people that haven't necessarily proven that they can do that at the NBA level. Yeah, and and no doubt those people were important part of the decision making process, right? Big uh, decisions, especially if if yeah, and honestly, that might have been at even least on more... paper they were supposed to be. <laughs> I, I believe that, but like I think their value would have been even bigger without Schlenk there. Like, oh, sure. I, you know, if worse came to worse and, and you have Schlenk and you didn't have them, you, I sort of suspect that he would still be able to have a vision and execute it and, uh, you know, get by with, without some of those people. But I, you know, I, I'm more concerned about the vacuum with Schlenk gone. It's like, okay. You know, now more than ever, you need the ranks beefed up to sort of uh, supplement the decision making process. And and uh, it's concerning <laughs> that the vacuum comes when the leadership is gone at the top. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, if I could um, take us on a little aside here for a second. So in my day job, I run a consulting firm. Um, one of the conversations I have with clients and prospective clients is around the concept of governance. And the very short version of what governance is, is basically, as an organization, how do we make decisions? Who makes the decisions? What process do we use to make the decisions? Who provides input to those decisions? How do we get the right expertise into those decisions? And then once those decisions are made, how do you hold the organization accountable to those decisions? So let's say, for example, on this podcast, Kevin, you and I decided we're going to record religiously on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Do I get to make that decision? You get to make that decision. Do we need to consult our listeners on what to, you know, it, that's just a, a very, very micro, micro example. But I talk with, you know, larger organizations often about how to kind of get everyone on the same page and how to kind of implement this structure of governance. And when I look at what's going on in the front office today, it's like, who's making decisions? Who, is that clear in the organization? I would guess it might not be clear. I don't know that it's not clear. You know, but I would guess it might be ambiguous right now. Who has input now that pe- these key people are no longer within the organization? Who has voice? Who has authority? Who has whose voice has weight and importance around that? And you know, it's hard for me to now. Maybe you know, Tony will step in and kind of set some direction on some things. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to say that that can't happen. But what I will say is that typically. It's hard to find your way out of a place like this. The the place that, that where the organization seems to be right now to me, it's hard to find your way out of that. And that, that concerns me for the organization. And I understand Hawks fans being concerned. Yeah. And I, 
I think one way that it could manifest itself very easily is, uh, you know, with regard to Trey, like, is it, <laughs> let me ask you, what, what, what would you say, uh, is the best way to characterize uh, the way that Trey is playing at the moment, uh, especially with respect to non-scoring matters? <laughs> I mean, early in the year, I thought it was up and down with more ups than there than we were, we were used to seeing in his first four years in the league. Like, okay, a, a little more prolonged stretches where the defense seems to matter more. Not that he's, you know doing everything but doing some of the more important things more consistently that that seems to not be the case right now you know i in a sense you know the problems on defense last few games hate to single him out but you're asking me about him and it's like he was rough in the zone against the lakers he was rough in transition against the pacers you know um and then on offense you know you know, he said after the game, the Lakers games, like they were dropping the four. Basically, LeBron was dropping off of Jalen and John, whichever one was in the game. Right. Which, again, the foul trouble, like it was exactly what they wanted. They got John out. He couldn't guard LeBron, Jalen in. They're like, take all the jump shots you want, Jalen. Right. We're going to leave you. And it was like, as soon as John got that second foul, it was like, ooh, that's bad. Yeah. And I, and so, you know, I always do a rewatch. And after I heard Trey's comments about, and he's right, they were dropping the boys exactly for right sure. About that. But what I disagreed with some was he said, so they were forcing us into jump shots. And I, I just think that's a overly simplistic way of approaching the problem solving there. Right. And I, I shared a few plays. Like there was a play where Jalen set a screen for him. I think it was LeBron. Uh, who was at the fort at the time, dropped right into the middle of the paint. Jalen kind of moved towards the nail. AJ was on the weak side all by himself. Was, this, this is for DeJounte. I, this is the DeJounte example, but it, but it, it applies to the way Trey was playing the game as well. If DeJounte moves the ball to Jalen at the nail, he can swing the ball to the left. AJ's on the left side for a wide-open catch-and-shoot. So, yeah, I mean, even though Jalen wasn't being respected as a guy who has any gravity, he was available in the short role to function as something – other than a shooter, which right. is a connecting passer. Trey had a few of those as well, where I thought there was a, a simple pass to someone that could maybe not um, generate gravity as a shooting presence, but had some opportunity to attack space by having the four drop so much or space to attack, draw a defender or two to you, and then kick the ball and create a better shot. So with Trey's, um, you know, and this would not, it takes quite a bit for me to, to just kind of directly say, I agree with something, disagree with something a player said after the game, but the you know, I, I understand the basis of Trey's comment, right, and that it was factual that the fours were dropping off of John and Jalen. But I think if you're like, oh well, we have to take pull up jump shots for 19 feet because the fours dropping, I disagree with that. Being, well, well, that's all we can do because that's what they're doing. I disagree with that. I, I think there's other 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 options other ways to problem solve in that way and that was another part of the lakers game that drove me crazy and it's 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 kind of been an issue all year long i haven't reacted as strongly to some people about you know the shot profile issue because trey and DeJounte are historically really good you know mid-range shooters i do think the shot profile has gotten better with bogey getting back the movement's gotten a little better the passing's gotten a little better but man the lakers were like all we gotta do is drop our four and trey and DeJounte are just gonna 
put up pull up 19 footers with 16 on the shot clock. That's that's terrible offense to me. So, you know, they've been doing better of recent, moving the ball and things like that. But, man, that was – if all it takes is to drop the four into the paint and you get that, guess what everybody's going to be doing now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the template has been put out there. Right, exactly. And Trey's right, and Trey told the truth, but, you know, he's missing the moral of the story, which is that that – is all the more reason that you have to be more probing, go deeper into the shot clock, get off the ball to see what's there. And none of those things really happen, just like you said. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I feel like the Hawks are right now at a big kind of fork in the road. And they could decide, okay, we're going to work back towards some better habits. We're going to work back towards more ball sharing, more movement, things they've been showing more of over the last, I don't know, three to four weeks or so generally. Or, you know, no, we don't have our key defenders, so we're just going to take our two best offensive players and generate as much usage through them as we can, and we'll see how we do. You know, I, I feel like it, you know, the teams always decide, like, we're going to commit to habits or we're not going to commit to habits, good habits. We're going to uh, play with intentionality around what we're trying to do about the, the kind of defense that's being presented. Um, I thought the the approach in the Lakers game was just pretty lazy. Remember, remember, thought you know from a processing standpoint and and all that. And if that's where they're going to stay for a while, I'm not, I don't feel great about the rest of the season. You know, so and you know if if the noise inside the org is like Nate, we're not sure how long Nate's going to be here. Like, how much voice does Nate? How much weight does Nate's voice have right now? How much are players going to respond to his voice right now? You know. We can only guess from the outside to a degree, but if if what's being reported is as a somewhat fair representation of what's going on, on the inside, it's like how does a coach have the amount, the kind of an amount of authority one needs to have to kind of command attention and command um, accountability to the decisions. The, the coaching staff is making about schemes, X's and O's, you know, what we need to do better and things like it's just it's a, it seems really messy right now all around. And that shows up, I think, in for example, the way DeJounte and Trey played on offense against the Lakers. It shows up I know my question for you is like I can't figure out like is Clint close to being back or not. It's like it it you know is is that is kind of it seemed like up until about three weeks ago we were getting fairly detailed reports on, you know, players injury status. And now it's just like, we're, we're getting a game by game, like questionable, doubtful out. And that's all we're getting. We're not like, we're not hearing like, we hope to have Clint back in the week, you know? So I don't know if. I think that's kind of partly the, just the nature of the injury. I think the Clint one just surprised, like the re-injury surprised them. And I mean, clearly, yeah. It, it's it's hard, I suppose, with the, with the three ring circus and the yeah. the sideshow that seems to be go, accompanying. Everybody, it. Everybody's distracted, maybe. You know, yeah, so that, yeah, that that's part of it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I I think it's you know clearly it's time to inquire with Nate and find out more about Clint. But honestly, I think part of that is that they don't know a whole lot, and there aren't that many other players that are injured. It's pretty much just Clint, but his is sort of a mystery at this point, and he's unbelievably important to you know, to what they do, like 
I think if he plays in that Lakers game, they probably win. Like he he covers a lot of sins uh, for things that they don't do well at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, I think the biggest issue is that if I'm connecting the glass again, I, I don't want to say I know any of this, but where, where the power in the organization seems to be shifting is Landry has a relationship with Nick Ressler. Landry has a relationship with Grant Lipman. And that seems to be kind of seems to be kind of where the influence and the decision making is kind of shifting as best I, as best I can tell. Right. Which in it, that in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you know, um, Jake Fisher has talked in the recent week and a half or so about how owners' kids are kind of always showing up in kind of decision-making and sometimes in a constructive way and sometimes in a super distracting way. You know, it can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. I, I think there's a lot more <laughs> room for for not the best stuff, you know. Um, when when there's not more senior, experienced people attached to the decision-making process that are respected for what they bring into that process and it seems like if you look at kind of the people who moved out but maybe that's gone you know so, and so it just that that seems that's concerning to me I, I don't want to say that those people can't be successful in time with the right help with the right guidance with the right mentorship or whatever whatever it is that that group would need but it just seems not ideal you know and again I, I'm not I'm not going to call any one of them like incapable or can't be successful or you know i wouldn't use any of those words i don't know them i don't obviously i don't observe their work but just having less experience more junior people shifting into you know um higher leverage roles around decision making and not having kind of senior advisors kind of attached to that if if that's the state of things that's that's concerning to me and Probably you know what we need. I know. I you know what we need. We need like a Yankee swap. Like, you know, you you own an NBA team and you you want your child to have a job. Great. You own the Nuggets. He's working for the Kings. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we just shuffle them around to like thirteen or seventeen franchises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and if like you know, t- you know t- I mean, t- Tony's not the only owner around. Tony's got to manage stakeholdership with the other minority owners and you right. know, and all that sort of stuff there there's politics and all the normal kind of stuff that comes to play there he's got to keep a, cons- a consensus i would you know that's a kind of a pretty normal part of being governor um and all that sort of stuff but it, it i wonder like if some voices might start saying okay we need to re- we need to bring in some senior advisory type folks to help us with decision making if the if the vision here is that two years from now this this group is going to be our decision makers and kind of you know have the leverage of the organization around the big decisions we've got to get the right kind of expertise and um experience baked into their processes and stuff and maybe there's still some more of that there that we don't see i don't know you know i i would guess that there's probably a bit of a gap at least with with the you know attrition that's being reported at least but i don't feel good about things right now yeah i mean they're they're 
the old heads like Rick Sund was around forever, Rod Higgins, Larry Riley, like there, there's a guy that has <laughs> seen some things. You want to talk about who put Golden State together? Well, Larry, Larry Riley did a big bunch of that, and he was a lot. He was with the Hawks for uh, uh, in a in a senior advisor role. I I heard he was scouting at the beginning of this year, but if if he's gone, like, <laughs> ooh boy, like who's doing all that work? Like, who are the senior voices? in 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 these conversations and you know I, you know i don't know tony's tony's in la right and i'm sure the the team is going to swing by It'll probably have that kind of outing at the owner's place in between the lakers and clippers game is kind of a traditional way to handle that i think right and who knows maybe, maybe tony has a plan like and it has connections and uh kind of already is like okay I, I have one or two people i'm going to kind of bring in to help you know in this area that you know, Tony just has a, a more a long-standing relationship with, or maybe a new relationship where he has a lot of trust and feels like there's a lot of rapport there. We'll see what happens. And like, a, you know, if you know me, Kevin, I'm never going to say this. It, 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 That's good. Not yeah. very often, I would say this person can't do this job. This person can't get this done. Right. These people can't do this. There's a way to go about kind of setting up a less experienced group to have the mentorship and the advice and the expertise baked in to how they're operating. If you're intentional about doing that, if that's not happening, that's where I think things get really tough. And, and it's, you know, beyond the bike of experience, it's very ad hoc at the moment. Like yes, these, these are all but, things that uh, I think if things are going well, these are changes that happen in an off season, but you've got uh, people leaving mid-season, Schlenk getting bumped up to his advisory role, like the fact that it's all sort of happening on the fly in the middle of the season when things aren't going well, uh, they, that's an issue. Like this is not the time of the season when you expect these sorts of changes. So the fact that it's happening in December instead of uh, July is – or, or or June, July, August, like those, those weren't the times when you would expect some of these changes to happen. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's not the case. It's uh, it seems like it's just on a rolling basis. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, when you kind of read the tea leaves, like Nate's kind of doing them a favor by staying in the job right now. If Nate might other might feel like doing something different than staying in the job, because could you imagine this group like at this juncture kind of navigating a, a coaching change? You know, you know. I mean, I guess it depends on how it would go. I mean, I don't suspect that it would go particularly well if there was a coaching change because, you know, maybe your most qualified candidates would look at it and say, well, uh, I we see the Canaries. Um, right. And then you you can't hire that person, so you're either just picking from your own staff, which is already there, and I don't know that you necessarily have a senior voice you want taking over there. And right, then you've got an interim or somebody with a whole, a whole lot of clout, and uh, there are players and other people in the organization that have clout, and you you probably prefer to have a head coach who uh, has some sway, so that there can be one vision and and that person could make it happen as best as he or she could but yeah yeah <laughs> what's what's the plan right it's and, and it's not like we have a right to kind of see the plan but i think i think we can kind of look and see like okay there are indications that there is a plan everyone's on the same plan everybody's working 
in a common direction and things like that. And my guess is right now things are in flux. It's a you know period of transition, if I could put it softly, you know, professionally. It's a time of transition and you know, which typically comes with quite a bit of a distraction and uh kind of a vacuum of um the normal voices you have that kind of attach decision making process and things like that. So yeah, well what does it see we'll have to see how things go. Like I think I think the first if Nate does stay in the job for the rest of the year or for for a good while is like the trade deadline is right around the corner, you know. And so that that's gonna be probably the first test, right? Is if if something like that materializes, how's that gonna go? We'll get a read, you know. So that's probably we're probably a few weeks away from kind of seeing potentially the first manifestation of kind of how this group's gonna produce results one way or the other. That is absolutely correct. It's uh, <laughs> that's that is uh that is on the table. That that seems like next steps and the next time we'll really have a good feel for what's going on. Happy New Year, Kevin. Do you think <laughs> yeah. No, uh, <laughs> sure, let's go with that. Happy New Year, Glenn. <laughs> Thank you for recording and uh we'll have to do it again soon. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. <laughs>